0: What's going on, everybody? Hope you are having a wonderful week so far. It's uh, movement time in Detroit this week, so I thought it would just be perfect to get the one only Kevin Saunderson on. Kevin Saunderson really needs no introduction at all. He has been the pioneer pretty much from day one in techno from Detroit, along with Juan Atkins, Derek May, jeff mills Carl craig all of the pioneers in this industry um i had an amazing conversation with him and i am excited for you to listen so without further ado kevin saunderson kevin saunderson what's going on man
1: hey what's up How's are how are, how are you man i'm all right i can't complain Just got back from a road trip for Toronto. Nice. Did a performance out there. Played Detroit this past weekend. So I'm I'm home. Did you play Spotlight? Yep. I played Spotlight on Friday, the anniversary.
0: I heard it was really good.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that place. It's It's a cool
0: venue, isn't it?
1: Definitely. Definitely. Definitely.
0: Um, How was Toronto?
1: Was it good? Toronto was good. I did an inner city show. It's a smaller venue, but... uh, I must say it was it was packed and uh, it, was a good, it was a good show. I uh, hadn't done in the city in Toronto in years. Yeah. So it was nice mm-hmm. too because we didn't fly. We drove up, uh, you know, all that. So it was, it was real relaxing. I felt yeah. like it was just connected to Detroit, like almost being like at home.
0: It's super uh, easy, the fact that you can drive to Toronto from here. It's only like four hours, isn't it? Something
1: like that. That's a beautiful thing.
0: Were you doing, when you do in a city, do you do it
1: live or is it? Um yeah, DJ. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's live. I mean, um, we have components. We obviously we take the studio on the road being down to uh you know we play on top, we yeah. you know, we arrange, you know, and we have our singer Stephanie who's uh quite uh uh dynamic in her performance. Mm-hmm. And then you know, uh, I have a, a keyboard player that sometimes I take uh, uh, Nico from Detroit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, a percussion person too. So, cool man. You know, we do it a few different ways.
0: Yeah, man. I so thank. First of all, thank you for coming on. It's it's an absolute pleasure to sit down with you. Um And I know we've kind of come across each other during on 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 festivals. Um, yeah, San yeah. Diego. I think I met you first in San Diego last year. Right um, and uh, across. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and obviously, I've been a fan for many years, and you've literally been one of the pioneers of the of the industry for since day one. Um, been a long time. Been in the game a long time. A long time, man. A very long time. And you've, you've I am pretty sure, you've got some good stories for us all. Um, but I kind of want to go back to the beginning. Um, yeah. I was going through. I was doing some research, and I didn't realize. Uh, th- tell me if this is wrong as well. I didn't realize you were actually born
1: in New York. Oh, I was born in Brooklyn, Flatbush. I grew up in Flatbush, uh, so yes, I'm, I'm 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 born right there, Kings County Hospital, right. And then came to Detroit like ten years later. Yeah, like it was elementary. It was definitely elementary school, like fourth, fifth grade. Yeah, uh, I, I came and I lived in Inkster. That's where my mother grew up, and mm. and most of her family was. So I lived in Inkster for a minute. And then by the time of the junior high days, uh, I, I moved to Belleville.
0: How was it, Detroit, back in back then? What year are we talking?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling my age now. Um, I, I mean, it had to be late 70s, 78, 76, somewhere right around there. Yeah. Uh, you know, to me, it was different because New York was, you know, a lot more busier, yeah, a lot yeah. more one, you know, New York was a lot more dirtier too back mm-hmm. in those days. Um, it was uh, uh, New York was just mixed. We, I lived on a street uh, called East 28th Street. You know, you had uh, Jamaicans, you had uh, American, you know, blacks, uh, you had uh, whites, you had whatever, all kinds of Jews, Italians, just everybody on the same block, mm-hmm. you know. So I was used to seeing just kind of everybody. So when I moved in, it was quite different. It was like, uh, it was all black. Yeah. I mean, so I was not even used to that. Even though I'm, you know, I'm black, but I was used to being around kind of everybody. Yeah. So uh, that was a bit different. That was a bit of adjustment for me. Um, And then I moved to Belleville, which was reverse of all that. (laughs) You know, it was ninety eight percent just white. white people, you know, yeah. um, so you know it was an interesting time. Uh, you know, but it you know Inkster was was, it was you know the suburb of Detroit, of course, but it was nothing like a city. Mm. And Belleville was completely country. You know, yeah. when you started doing stuff like fishing, and, yeah. you know, playing sports. That's when I got into sports because it was nothing to do with Belleville, mm. really.
0: Were your parents were your parents in the motor industry?
1: Uh, no, there actually wasn't. My father was in the real estate, okay, and a bit of a hustler too uh, in New York. And my my mother, um, she uh, went to nursing school mm. uh, and the University of Michigan and getting her. Uh, uh, I think she got a master's and It's a nursing instructor. Nope. So, <laughs> told my son not to call me. I was on in an interview, but he didn't check his his, his uh, text, and, and I got. Sorry, I got uh what do you call it? Um where well, he can break through. You know, my kids oh, are yeah, that yeah, yeah. But listen, I gotta put it on airplane mode right now. Okay. There we go. It's all good. Sorry it's about good. that. No, it's all good. Got to do edit. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> it's all good. Doesn't so, matter. So so um so no, they weren't in the motor industry. That's interesting
0: they that they came to Detroit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, my father came because of my mother obviously my mother went to new york mm. and met my father and you know i was born and all that yeah. but my mother was native from detroit you know ah, she okay. she was born in detroit so she yeah. really just came back to where back she grew time. up that makes sense That makes sense
0: yeah. and then how did the whole you getting into music at, in detroit back then start i know you probably answered this question so many times but i know mm-hmm. people were probably interested in this um yeah listening now
1: yeah it, it was a uh gradual process you know um first of all when i moved to detroit uh i wasn't like in the music like that. I that's listening to what my mother played in the car mainly it was motown soul music whatever so um, New York radio. I listen a little because mm. sometimes they play that in the car. Uh, but I, when I moved to Belleville, I went to a school, a middle school called North junior high yeah. and playing on the football team. And I met, uh, Derek may on the, cause he played football and Aaron Atkins, which is Juan Atkins brother. Okay, We were all in seventh grade. Juan was in ninth grade, mm. uh, so I, you know, I didn't really connect with Juan at that time, but I met Juan at his house through his brother, to, you know, mm-hmm. saying like, "Come through, come on and hang out, yeah. whatever, come to come to the crib." Uh, so that's kind of how that part started. And Juan had like little gadgets, like cassette decks, yeah. and pieces of equipment, maybe a synthesizer. I didn't even understand what it was at the time, but it looked interesting so it caught my eye so um through time knowing juan and bumping into him every night and then, seeing him in school and obviously he was older than us so he was in ninth grade so he was only in that school for about a year yeah. but derek became really close to juan and became you know kind of like a protege mm. you know was into the theory of uh um technological innovations yeah. uh and um, the future the, about making music for the future because Juan had this concept. Now I wasn't locked into it at that time, but it all came to me slowly yeah. over over the years. And then Juan started creating music with Cybertron. Uh, that started. That kind of was like the beginning. Juan is the beginning of yeah, of yeah. all of it. One hundred percent. Um, of techno, um, so you know. Then I started. Derek moved with me in high school for a half a semester. The second half of the year. Motion detected at the front door. Yeah. <laughs> and all kind of stuff going on in my studio. I'm in the studio now, so I, you know, somebody's at the door and lets me know. Blah blah. blah. It's so good. Uh, man. Yeah, uh, but anyway. Um,
0: okay, so. Yeah. So you were were talking about Juan, how, when Juan was getting into it.
1: Yeah. So when Derek moved in with me, that's kind of when my music education became, you know, it it went up a level because Derek was following Juan or helping Juan or his, or was his protege and wanted to make music at some point. He didn't, you know, he wasn't making music at this point, but that's when I became, that started listening to the electronic mojo. Mm. Um, became more aware. That was a radio station, right? Say it again? was that radio station. Yeah. Mojo was this disc jockey that played music. It's called mm. the Midnight Funk Association played it at 12 o'clock midnight. And he, he would play a collage of different music, Good. electronic music, funk, Parliament Funkadelic Prince, and he would play albums. So you'd oh, you, wow. you, you fall in love with the artist because, you know, reg- regular radio, they just played what they thought was the hit or the singles. And yeah. you would only hear one or two from the album usually. But um, he had this unique way of playing music and, and educating people. With, and it, it included Wands, Cybertron. So uh, I fell in love with uh, Juan's music, not because I knew him, but because I thought it was innovative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sounded uh, very futuristic. And uh, so that that was kind of my first beginning. And then, you know, I just kind of, I wasn't trying to make music. I was an athlete. I played sp- sports, really. And just kind of was around those guys every now and then. And, yeah. uh, you know, I would uh, um, later, I did this uh, graduation party at my house, I had this nice house in Belleville, mm. and a pool, you know, just it was laid out. Uh, back then, my parents had built this house. So yeah. as we graduated, I had the whole house to myself and my mother sold the house and moved. <laughs> um, and Juan came to DJ. Uh, I got Juan and Derek. I didn't know Derek really was a DJ, but, you know, basically Derek, was DJing at this party. And it was so cool because you had people from Detroit who were following Juan. Mm-hmm. They were starting to build this deep space. It was an organization called Deep Space that Juan had created. And uh, people would follow him uh, from Detroit, people from mm-hmm. Tech or whatever, Cooley. And they would just come to his events when he DJed. And he's playing. this This first time I seen Juan DJing. So I was really impressed. Uh, and it kind of just took off. From there because at that age, I went back to New York the summertime, in the summertime. And then I got to experience people like Larry Levan start going to Paradise Garage. So through the combination of going to the Paradise Garage, hearing Juan play uh, Tony Humphreys at the Zanzibar, because I was kind of caught between New York and Detroit, you know. Uh, Um, and as I went to college, I went to Eastern. I started learning people about people like uh, Al Lester. Going, to, I started going to Cheeks, yeah. and had guys around me that were playing uh, uh, music on campus, mm-hmm. and it was cool because I was hearing like you know uh, electronic music. I was hearing you know uh, disco, and I was into a lot of disco as well because you know just it was part of my nature about going back and forth in New York. So eventually, I was playing football on the football team. And I was connected with a few of Derek's friends uh, that were on East at Standard Eastern and they were DJs. So I would kind of hang out when I had time and watch them on the te- Technique 1200s and listen to the music. So I kind of was absorbing all that. Yeah. At the same time, Derek was, had moved to Chicago. Juan okay. was having a success with Cybertron and uh, the beginnings of Model 500, mm. uh, Technicolor, stuff like that. Uh, so I'm just really absorbing it and around it. Yeah. I didn't really step into the game until uh 83 was my first uh thought of like I think I want to be a DJ. So, what year know? did Cybertron come out? Cybertron was 70, 79, I didn't know it was that early. It was it was before Sharp. I, I don't know if you know about Shari Vars yeah, Before yeah. that track, it was a little bit before that. They both came out in the same year. One was a, a few months or so before wow. him, Cybertron, and you know that was kind of the beginning of techno. You so know, he was like so you get this debate well ahead of the game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then and then some people, you know, they get in the debate and they say like, oh no, techno started in Germany or yeah, techno yeah, yeah. started in. You know, because you got craft work and you got some electronic groups, but there's a difference between being an electronic band and what Juan, with uh, the creation of techno. Yeah, uh, and nobody used that term to to identify their music. So as Juan always say, I didn't say I was the creator of electronic music. I said I'm the originator of techno music, and what we did collectively, is even though Juan is the beginning, Derek was quite important, bringing us all into the picture. People like me, yeah. people like Big Baxter, people like Eddie folks San Antonio came in through me. And it's, these were the, all the beginning, you know, this is the beginning when we first did the compilation. Tiny. But uh, we took that sound and sh- shaped it collectively into a DJ-based Music that people could dance to because there was a void in the market mm. of really four on the floor and music that you know people could dance to. Yeah. yeah, sure. Kraftwerk had records, New Order had electronic records, they were bands. Yeah. Uh, um, there were other groups out there, and the house kind of was parallel. It was like a few months or so later, you know, yeah. the house movement. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you know, so that's kind of the connection I came into it. And I was a go-getter. I played sports and I always wanted to be the best. I was humble and I did my thing and I came in it more, multiple ways. I just enjoyed vocal music as well. And yeah. I wanted to make something with vocals, but I also wanted to do stuff that was darker and deeper and faster. So I had kind of two sides to me where some guys was only one way, straight path. My path was different. I'm I was caught between doing uh, a housier sound, yeah. a tech house sound, which is a, really a combination of a little bit of Detroit and Chicago and techno. Yeah. You
0: know? Well, tech house back then and for many years previous to what it is now is very different. Right. And, right. and it, I think that's a really interesting thing to bring up is that how if you go listen to old tech house, it's literally a mixture of house music and techno, which makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And and you hear all the the synth elements and everything like that. How was it when you started and you wanted to make vo- like more vocal records and then also more like techno records? How right. how right. was the scene then? Because nowadays it's really tough to kind of do that. You almost pigeonhole to a certain extent. Um, right. How how is how was it
1: then? Um. Well. I just kind of did what I felt, and I've had success both ways. You know, I was fortunate. Uh, I didn't get tied into being Mr. Commercial, even though I had commercial success within the city. Yeah. My first record was a vocal record. It was called Triangle Love by Cream. Yeah. And you know, the fact that I had my own label. You know, we all started our own labels. At least myself, Juan, and Derek. Mm. We all had our own labels, so it gives you control over what you, you know, your, your but, what yeah. kind of music to release. Yeah. So. I've always, KMS has always been, you know, not one way, you know, and Kevin Sonnezan has been one way. Now I've created different aliases, probably too many aliases back then. I was was going
0: through all your aliases and I was like, damn, these are a lot of fucking aliases.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was just, I had a lot of energy I wanted to release. I wanted Detroit to seem like it was more acts out. People didn't know, like, Kevin Sonnison did uh, Baseline or, yeah. uh, you know, my Reese stuff. They didn't know, you know, it was connected to me. They didn't know, like, uh, um, E-Dancer, you know. Uh, mm. uh, they didn't, you know, some people didn't know. You know, they just didn't know because it was, you know. Well, you didn't have the it, internet then, did you? That, that, that no, not at all. <laughs> So, uh, but, but, but there was a, uh, uh, um, there was space in the market for, for all, I had success with reach project, which is my more soulful, uh, more like deep house, uh, yeah. type of vibe. Um, so I, I mean, I had it from inner city to eat to, to, uh, Tronic house, uh, all that stuff, uh, was with, there was good for me, mm. you know, it was a good time in the market. Uh, Um, And you had the scene back then, it it evolved because, you know, people from Europe started uh, being inspired from, you know, Detroit and Chicago. But, you know, uh, there's a lot of insp- inspiration from Detroit. Is, that's how the BPMs and stuff got faster because we were a little bit uh, faster, yeah. you know, BPM in a different type of energy. And then you, before you know it, you had uh, London with the breakbeat scene, then yeah. the jungle scene kicked in, and then Germany was really rough and banging, you know, uh, um, and fast. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was able to do all, all, all of anything it. I wanted to do, I did, and That's had amazing. A success at it. You know?
0: That's amazing. How when you um when you first started out, when was it a realization that you're like, this is this is what I want to do? Was it a quit? Let's stop playing football. Let's like stop everything and let's just concentrate on music.
1: You know. It moved pretty quick for me. Yeah. Cause I was playing football. I mean, my first year in college was 82 mm. and I was on the football team. So September to to you know for the rest of the year, you know, when football season is over, you go to spring football. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of the off season, uh, January, February, March. I tell you by March, by the time we had our spring game, maybe in April, I, I realized that first of all, the people that recruited me got fired. So now, Mm -hmm. you know, you're dealing with politics and the new coaching staff. And I could tell I didn't fit in their plans, Mm -hmm. but I was still on the team, but at the same time I was hanging out with Art Payne and Keith Martin and uh, Eddie Folk, people that were DJs. Uh, Yeah, I was out with people like that. And just by being around them, I could feel the need for me to Change my path you know never was a quitter i didn't quit anything really I always you know just stuck with it so um i knew yeah and by that t- by april the spring game after we had our spring game i you know they put up like who makes the team uh and, you know, I didn't even go look to see if I made the team or yeah. uh, what they wanted to keep me. I just felt like it was time for a change yeah, and yeah. I wasn't feeling the connection. So right then I knew, you know, yeah. um, and I started out DJing and I had a. it took me a while, but I worked at it just like sports. I just I had the work ethic of practicing. And while the people were sleeping, I was practicing. Yeah. Uh, Get my work in. I was learning and it just evolved from being a DJ to taking a drum machine Mm. to to your gigs, mixing it with your music, to now putting a baseline to it, learning about sequencing. And over that time from 83 to my first record came out actually on Metroplex, 86. uh, I was developing uh you know from being a dj into a producer into an artist mm-hmm. and by the time 87 got here which was 35 years ago basically yeah um uh, i started my label and once i did that i was really off and running and
0: was I that kms had.
1: yep kms records yeah 35 years so 35 Damn. years it's been going a while yes it has
0: <laughs> how how does it feel looking back Over the last 35 years of your career and seeing what you've achieved when it comes to
1: life? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the dream of doing what you love Mm. has definitely come true for me because I fell into the path of making electronic music and becoming a electronic artist, producer, uh record company, businessman. Uh I was able to control a lot of my future. And yeah. I think if I didn't have that control, things would be different. So and and to see that the scene has has evolved, you know, I had this vision. Even even back then when I was creating music and I felt like Detroit music, Chicago music, house music, dance music was the future. Yeah. Uh uh, cuz I was on college and you see like these fraternities like you know I was in a fraternity uh but you had you know it was a little more segregated then black fraternities white fraternities whatever right but yeah. uh, they, on the white fraternities you would walk by they had these huge gatherings at the frat houses and outside and 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 it would be like 2000 people there yeah and then I keep saying like what kind of music are they listening to <laughs> what and I liked our music but to me, it felt like you needed dance music at these events. And I felt like our music that we were creating fit in, Mm. but nobody at that time knew about us or could even accept it, understand our music. And so I always thought that music of the future was our music, was dance music, was was this new electronic music uh, to make people dance. And it was for everybody. It wasn't for, you know, back then it was the only Black people listening to this music and partying to the music. So... So the future came true. Mm-hmm. We look years later; the world is dancing as one. We might have different genres, but it, it all evolved in a way where the vision was right. And to see that happen over time is is quite amazing. And see how many people have come up inspired by Detroit or mm-hmm. Chicago. Uh, the music that we created—how the the it, it 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 changed history. It made history. It created. Uh, uh, lots a lot a lot of money for a lot of people too, yeah. and built artists that grew out of this, you know. So um, it's quite amazing, you know, this, to see that happen over time and still be doing it years later, not knowing that you know I would be around thirty five years later from from the beginning of my label, uh, and and still at it strong.
0: Well, I think it's pretty amazing as well how long it's you've been doing it for. I think a lot of people come into this the the music industry and kind of expect like a strong like five years and then and then leave and I think what you what stacy what juan what derek what all like m k like all these kind of people that have been there from the very early days in the pioneering days proves that you can have a full-on life of music and you can just really just keep pushing on and you have your ups and downs and just keep doing it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. um, If it's what you love and you truly believe in it, you have to keep doing it. You know, I know me, I, I, you know, I was blessed to be talented enough to have this vision, to be a part of something uh, so amazing and and it's within me so I can only do nothing but keep moving forward and keep doing what I love doing love you know? that man
0: love that um your first what was your first commercial success what was it when you were like okay this is it we're in it for for the long
1: run now <laughs> oh when it when in the city hit and I went to England and I started doing these TV shows, like <laughs> top proper, of the pops. proper TV shows, Top of the Pops. Yeah. And I'm on shows with Diana Ross, Shaka Khan, yeah. thinking like, why they got me on shows? People, <laughs> like, these, these people are stars. But, you know, England looked at it as, you know, if your record was popular, you fit in. And, yeah. you, you know, that's what it was. That's what the show was for. So um, I realized but when I started doing stuff like that, and doing concerts where it was 80,000 people performing on stage at Wembley Stadium and stuff like that. Wow. Uh, you, you just had, I had this feeling that this was it, this is, mm-hmm. is going to be for the long haul and this is definitely, you know, worth uh, putting in the effort and, and re- getting a lot of rewards out of it. So I knew, you know, that I would be in it for the, to the very end to the, you know, yeah. um, I'm still in it.
0: I want to talk about the whole inner city project and how it started and also how it's evolved to what it is today. Um, mm-hmm. What, what made you want to start in a city and kind of, was it just you that was involved at the beginning or was it the whole crew?
1: So in the beginning, like I say, I, I'm probably the only one in Detroit at that time that had this vision of doing vocal records as well. Yeah. So um, me and a, 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 a cl- uh, not a classmate but a schoolmate James Pendleton actually went to Belleville High School so if we had to have a Belleville 4 he would be the 4th I don't know how many people know that but he went to Belleville he was a little younger, but we he was a part of the movement as well at that time when myself, Eddie, Blake, you know, we were all connected and mm. we kept in contact. So me and James actually created the first inner city record, that, which was Big Fun. Um, that was the James, first one. Big Fun was the very first record for uh, inner city. Damn. Um but it was instrumental at that time. We just created it uh uh just in, in my, my studio and uh which was basically the apartment at the time. And you know, we just you know the way we did music back then. We would share equipment because we didn't have a lot. Yeah. So you know, James might have a piece or two. I have two pieces. Derek have a piece. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we just bring our stuff and we just be in one place and we create. Some of the other guys playing games on you know on not computers but you know they had I don't know what they had like uh, uh, I, I don't even know what we was playing back then. But anyway, we played games <laughs> with other people making music. So me and James made big fun. We we, was, uh, we made big fun. It was instrumental. And then I kind of took it from there and started developing even more. And I bought in uh, paris which was the original singer, Paris Gray, from Chicago. Because yeah. we were connected with the Chicago guys a lot, like Farley and Chippy and... Yeah. uh Mike Hitman Wilson. So a guy named Terry Housemaster Baldwin at the time, uh, we, he came to my studio and he was listening. You know, we play stuff to each other. You know, just playing your reels. And, and So he was checking it out, and he was the one that said, "I have my singer. You should let her go down on this. She would kill this." And because I like vocals, of course, let me let's see what she's about. Mm. You know, um, so that's how I connected with Paris. Uh, kind of gave her a vision like, you know, I, you know. I'm a very positive guy. I like to keep things. I don't want to be talking about love and sex and let's keep it either spiritual, uh, uplifting, uh, fun, mm-hmm. you know, happiness. Think of that. And, you know, musically, I try to be the same way. Yeah. So she wrote the perfect song for Big Fun, you know, uh, for the music at the time. So that was created uh it was on the compilation album, the Detroit techno. It was the last record to make the Detroit compilation. It wasn't even going to be on there, yeah. but I was releasing it anyway. It was coming out on my label, and I, you know, started floating it out at a certain time. But it made it because Derek May was supposed to turn in one more track, and he didn't create this last track. And uh, Neil Rushton, who put curated this whole thing with Derek. Uh, heard big fun and thought we, we got to put this on the record. Mm-hmm. So it made it made the compilation. It wasn't even picked to be the, the 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 record to take off. I mean, you know, nobody knew back then anyway. But uh, I think the first the release, like it was a single, was called Members of the House and. Uh, um, that came out and then Big Pharma was just taking off and on its own just because I was releasing it on my label and then it just started getting exposure and it became the record. So, um, I ended up signing a deal because I couldn't control pressing the record. People were booting the record because I couldn't keep up with the demands. no way I could keep up with the demand of that record at the time. So, I decided to sign it to 10 Records which was affiliated with Virgin Records Mm -hmm. And Inner City was born. We had, you know, we would just record. Just it, just it was monstrous. Mm. Eighty-eight in the summer, through the summer in England, and I would go to England because at that time, I, you know, it was the beginning also of you know me early early eighty was the beginning of me doing remixes yeah. and big. So I would go back and forth, you know, to England. Uh, and I I was just experiencing it through the summer and it just made people so happy. And just never seen anything like it. Uh uh, it just touched my heart. So so was that all-
0: was, was that did, when you were in the UK, were you hearing it at like festivals? Were you hearing it at clubs? Were you hearing it on the was, radio? Like what was it?
1: I was hearing it on radio, I was hearing it on pirate radio because yeah. they had pirate radio. I was hearing it uh uh place it was a Monday night. At spectrums, mm. which Paul Oakenfold it was playing, it was the b- biggest record of the night. Uh, I was hearing Pete Tong play it. I was just hearing it everywhere at, at, at a place called Astoria. Um, it's mainly clubs, so, yeah. you know. The festival thing, you know, uh, I, I didn't get to too much of that beginning secret festivals mm. uh, at that time, but I know that was going on too. It was just. Did you you ever go to
0: any of the, like, the free parties, the, like, free raves in the UK at that time?
1: No, I never made it to none of those, never made it to none of those, but uh, um, did some raves later that were quite huge and big tents and all these people. (laughs) But, uh, um, you know, that was the beginning kind of in a city. Uh, Then, you know... You know, I brought James Pendleton over mm-hmm. so he could experience it. Uh, he actually was supposed to be in the video. He wasn't in the video. I brought Santonio San over. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all was over there mid-summer, something like that. Um, just because, you know, I wanted him to be a part of the, the success. I wanted Santonio, San since we was working together, to be get some extra inspiration, see yeah. what was going on. So... Um, James caught Chicken Pops. He was supposed to be in the video, so I replaced him with Santonio. San so I don't know if you've ever seen the video, Big Fun. Uh, it's got me and Santonio San not knowing what the hell we're supposed to do, <laughs> take arms and do this rave dance and, you know, let Paris be the star she was. But it was quite interesting because Paris was working at, I don't know, some makeup shop or some mall, you know, like in the makeup section, yeah, selling... Yeah, yeah. Makeup and perfumes and stuff like that. And I called her up and I was like, Paris, they need you to come to England to do the video because Big Fun is taking off. She didn't comprehend that at all. She was like, I ain't coming to no England. I ain't even my <laughs> job. I got a job. Not knowing the magnitude yeah. of this record is huge. Yeah. Now I don't know if it's nothing about no hit, but I just know like it's huge. Now it's not released at the time. So oh, is so a- this pre-release? Oh, yeah, this is all pre-release. Oh, wow. it So that's why they wanted us to do the video. So to get ready for the release. Um, So it didn't look like she was going to come. So I had another singer that I knew from Detroit. I flew her in Mm. to do the video. Um, But two days before Paris said, I'll come. So now I have the other girl there in England and thinking she's gonna do the video, and then Paris decides. Of course, I gotta go with the original singer because she she wrote the record and she is, you singing. know, the yeah, voice. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. if you look at the video, also, you have two singers <laughs> singing, one in red and one in yellow. I didn't, you know, so I let her be in the video, yeah. and they kind of shared parts. But Paris was the, the lady in yellow, and she be, eventually became obviously the complete singer of Inner City. Yeah. Um, um so we had that success Big Fun became a hit the record companies like oh we need you to, to do a follow up you know you know I ain't used to this kind of yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. I'm just make music and yeah. put it out whenever so now I'm under well, the gun I to, guess also to, like
0: you tell me if I'm wrong but you were it, when was this in the late 80s This was was well, Big Fun came out 88 Yeah so you must February, have been like one of the first techno DJs that was actually having commercial success.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. No doubt about it.
0: So yeah. you have zero idea what the fuck's going on.
1: I have no clue. <laughs> I'm just going with the flow and and trying to make adjustments on the fly. And you know, mm. uh it's, it's a lot of moving parts for me. But I'm I'm with it. I'm, you know, I'm learning as as I go. Yeah. So so they need this follow up. So I called James. I said, James. We got to do a follow-up. Because to me, he's going to be a part of whatever I'm doing within the city. James, he kind of became missing in action. And I didn't see him, didn't hear from him. So I just had to go ahead and finish Good Life, you know, uh, created. So then Follow-Up was Good Life. And I thought like, okay, well, let me make it sound like it's from the same family. And she wrote, you know, Big Fun in Paris wrote Good Life. I did the music, sent it to her. She wrote Good Life. And I was like blown away. It was like, wow, can you can't how could you come up with such a beautiful vocal yeah. to match this this music? And the music was powerful too. Mm-hmm. So I finished that. And at that point, once I finished that, you know, good life became a hit bigger than Big Fun. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was huge in Germany, it was huge in England. Uh, same story, top of the pops, all these TV shows. And then at that point, we hadn't we weren't a, uh I didn't have Paris signed to any contract, uh, but uh Virgin at the time, they wanted now because of success, they wanted an album. And that's when we formed. It was me and Paris. Yeah. You know, I hadn't heard from James no more. So I just moved on and kept developing in the city throughout the years and You know, uh, people don't probably know this, too. We were the first band out there performing our music, techno, house, electronic, like our style live. Mm -hmm. So I actually had to hire band members uh, from Detroit that actually lived in the same uh, warehouse space I lived in. And I I met these guys, Tommy Onyx, uh, Dennis White, and uh, they were live musicians.
0: I didn't know Dennis was was that far back with you.
1: Oh yeah. Dennis he yeah, they had lots of non sleepless nights because our our studio was right next to where they <laughs> stayed. <laughs> I see my DJ booth with a big ass subwoofer and yeah. I would just chill it and they would be right, they right there, <laughs> you know, but we never had no issues. They just, you know, we all did our music. They have a band playing. Sometimes you hear the band and they hear this thumping kick, you know, just mm. all the subs coming through. But that's how I met Dennis. Dennis became my band uh, leader at that time. And I met Tommy through Dennis and the rest of the guys. And I, said, hey, I need to do a, 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 I need to, my music played live. There's no way I knew how to play music live. I could play my sections and obviously studio musician, yeah. sequence, computers, whatever. You can, you know, that's how we created it. But taking it on the road, we couldn't take no studio on the yeah. road. <laughs> yeah, It just was was impossible. Uh, so the, we were the first to go out there and do this live too mm. and, and full band. So uh, we did it in London, Germany, uh, Australia, did it many places. And uh, it was different for me because it wasn't, it's like being in a studio, you know, you had a drummer that, you know, it, was, it had more of a live feel yeah. because it wasn't live. Uh, you know, I played stuff like the octopads, mm. little sections that I could play eight bars, <laughs> and, you know, because, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't go to Berkeley and all yeah. that. Like all these musicians, um, but I had the ear and I knew how to get it done, yeah. you know. Uh, and I was having success, so um, uh, so we were the first to do that. People, you know, they 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 have no clue. We and it just evolved over the years where groups were able to do it through technology and tech, you know, technological innovation. Mm. Uh, Let us, you know, be where we are today doing it. Um, well, it's also so, amazing
0: with Big Love. And good life, like how those records still get played.
1: Everywhere, amazing, everywhere. It's amazing. It's 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 amazing because you know here we are. We're talking, you know, years later. You know, from, from Inner City. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, thirty five years from my label, but good life, big fun. They came shortly afterwards, so it's 34 years ago. So here we are and those records for younger generations. Uh, Now, of course, they've been reshaped, recreated many ways. Some Mm. people have licensed the rights to use parts, um, uh, et cetera. But, you know, they've been in, in commercials, they've been in insurance commercials, all mm. kind of stuff. So I go to Australia and I, we perform there not too long ago, January. Well, actually, March. Sorry. in March. We play in March. We do uh, our first tour in the uh, city in years there. And uh, I do this festival called Pitch Festival. Pitch mm. Festival is, is like a like hipsters, young, who you know, all that type of vibe. And so it's going to be interesting because like in the city, we go back way back and... uh Man, it was just amazing to see how the that crowd gravitated towards our music and then obviously Good Life kicked in and they just lost it. And I'm yeah. thinking like they're singing it, you know, they're singing the song. And I'm thinking like, you know, you got kids out here 18, you know. Yeah. Uh, 21 uh, and they sing Good Life like it's it's a hit to them now uh, and it's been around so long and you know I think the the wonderful thing about our music you can recreate it reshape it even though the original obviously is the beginning but through all of this it it allows different exposure to different generations and and the record will be here when I'm long gone it's going to be around it's, special, man. it's pretty special i love that
0: yeah um what was it like when you started going overseas for the first time and then seeing the success kind of not necessarily be in america but be overseas well, how long and then how long did it take till it got to america for you
1: um well overseas was it was, you know, it, first of all, going overseas was really tough. You know, yeah, but... we had to go to the trenches because there was no internet. Mm. There, you know, you had these long flights, you know. They had TV screens that you had to look at way in front of you. And we had to watch movies that was just, you know, whatever. everybody had to watch the same movie. <laughs> yeah, And then, you no know, first class for us, yeah. you know. We had to, you know, suck it up and yeah. just get there. So, first of all, that was tough. It was Tough. It was depressing. It was really tough because you had to be in this place that you didn't know no one, Mm. you you know, even though you're having a success and you, you know, you're doing these shows, you, you you know, you get homesick. You know, there's a lot of homesick at at those times. Like I say, there was no internet, there was nothing to really do. Uh, And I'm kind of a loner. You know, I like to be with myself, but at the same time, you know, I like to do stuff, you know. Uh, But it was cool with the success, um, seeing different cities and experiencing that, but it was it was tough times as well to yeah, to be away from be away from home and you know, try not to run up a phone bill of a thousand pounds, which I've done a couple of times in the beginning. <laughs> know, you know, you're on the phone, you're charging like five five pounds a minute, you yeah. know. So um um, but the success was worth going over and to be able to do something you love doing. Uh, and then you had to go to different countries where, you know, I don't speak anything but English. So now you're hearing different accents yeah. and trying to understand, the, you know, people, you go to England, you know, you got different accents within the countries and yeah. you know, especially when you go to Scotland, now you're trying to understand the, the <laughs> Scotland, go to Ireland, and then you like, you gotta say, can you say that again? And yeah. you, you know? Stuff like that, it was always an adjustment. And then, um, um, but that was all a part of it. And the success, obviously, it, it, it was good to see, you know, how we were having success. And at home, it, it took a while. I mean, yeah, Big Fun and Good Life cut through. But as far as our music as, as techno, the whole Detroit scene, you know, Detroit was pretty good the America, you know, they, they didn't really know about us, you know, when yeah. it, uh, different countries, you know, I got some plays, obviously New York was pretty good for me. Cause I crossed kind of both paths. Uh, Chicago was booming for all of us. Chicago yeah. was great. And then all of a sudden that market just seemed like it just died. It just like somebody pulled the plug, mm. you know, what do you think um, that was? I, I really don't understand how it just, it was so big; it should have just kept growing because it was not yeah. just. It was big in the gay clubs. It was big for blacks. It was big for whites, yeah. was, especially Hispanics. They all were into it. They had this radio station, WGCI, w, uh, bmx and it. it you know, uh, maybe it was too much, mm. and people, you know, but I don't know. You know, was still great music coming out at the time, and you know, uh, was that when hip hop got really big? Now hip hop was parallel. Yeah. I will say that. Hip hop wasn't, you know, we were we were going parallel and yeah. then, you know, then hip-hop did take off. Yeah. Vanish that hip hop had that we didn't have as a as a collective was hip-hop had the streets mm. and the visuals for video yeah. and that connection connected to the street. And hip hop, you know, they talk about whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh uh it, it wasn't always positive let's not put it that way but it, it connected to people because of different situations and well people can re-
0: people a lot of people could relate to it as well at that time right and it still is yeah. the case right I think the issue not the issue but the thing with dance music is a lot of it doesn't he- even have any vocals electronic right. music and and a lot of it's just repetitive beats and to yeah. to to the masses repetitive beats is boring and it's like what the hell why yeah. do you want to listen to this um until yeah. you until you put it in the concept of a nightclub or a rave or something like that
1: or yeah. well, festival or was all right yeah And the, the whole thing so yeah so we, you know we had our struggles and then being black artists uh you know even though blacks were only listening to our music when we first started it mm. it turned it shifted so yeah. it was blacks to all whites but we lost the black market the urban market because of hip hop kind yeah. of took over and then there wasn't enough artists and visual size. I mean, okay, you had in city. Yeah. We was on uh, 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 the Apollo show and all yeah. kind of decent shows here in America, but you know, it was only us really. A few groups followed like Crystal Waters mm. and C.C. Yeah. You know, uh, Penniston, but it wasn't enough to collectively uh, engage enough, uh, of the Black side. So we kind of lost the Black side. The the, the Europeans were I- inspired by our, what we were doing and created, you know, their own movement. Yeah. Kept it, you know, going. Uh, uh, but the sound changed, you, you know, know, because people have different inspirations and everybody ain't gonna create like me or Derek Damn. or one because, you know, it's within your own vision. Mm. And, you know, and then you had people just in it for the money, just yeah. trying to find a way to create a brand to make money, you know, market artists. And, you know, um, so we didn't have the same success. And a lot of producers like Paul Oakenfold and different people, especially Sasha and and Digway, they came came over here a lot and were, you know, they were getting the big parties where we really wasn't getting the big parties and, you know, that sound, that progressive sound and mm-hmm. trans sound started getting uh kind of taken over, let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh scene. Uh so you know, that was a little tough uh to see, you know, not that I'm against any music, cause you know, it's good music in all styles, no mm-hmm. matter what. Yeah. Uh, but it was, you know, a little difficult to see that, you know, we we, you know, all of a sudden. You know, we don't get the press in America. We didn't get the press mm. and the support of Americans, but the Europeans would get that. Yeah. You know, and uh it was like you were we're a little bit lost, uh, yeah. even though our innovation our creativity was always there and our talents was, was almost second to none. But it it wasn't about that. It was about uh capitalism, yeah. some races, especially in America, uh um, that that was against us too. Yeah. At the same time,
0: did you find that was kind of replicated in U- the UK and Europe as well?
1: Uh, um, that you you mean when you say replicated? Just the, like part of-
0: did you because obviously you guys were touring in 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 Europe at the same time and and. Places in, in the UK And did you find It was a, it, There came a point Where there was Like a str- like a, a switch Of like It The trance scene Kind of came through And then you guys Were kind of
1: out For a bit Yeah, yeah It was It was I mean Besides the really Underground Purist type of club mm-hmm. But it's the Scene started growing. Yeah. The rave started growing. This then you had this breakbeat scene that mm. took off in the UK, and then yeah. and you you didn't have a record. Seemed like it that had a breakbeat, then it wasn't cool. Yeah. It was just because that was like that was it. Yeah, you know, very English sounding too. So you know, there was a connection there from the English to the to the other for people that were from England. Um, so there was definitely a point. Uh. Where we we even in the UK, you know, uh, um, we didn't get some of the huge gigs that you felt like. And I always felt like, you know, you know, you could play music. It's up to the promoter to bring the talent in and and figure out how to mix the genres or mix right. different DJs amongst because then you're educating people. Not just one way, but then yeah. you get stuck in the one sound, one way. Uh, even though it's all dance music, yeah. you know, you, you have to find a way to bridge, bridge the, the the talents. It's up to the promoter, but every promoter don't take chance like that. they want to be safe. One way, and it's all about money to to many of them, you know, back then especially. So uh, that was part of the, part of the issue. I feel like we're kind of in
0: that stage again right now, though, if I'm honest. Where it's which I totally understand, and I don't i don't have a major issue with it. I have an issue with it to a certain extent, where it feels like, for me, dance music, electronic music, whatever you want to call it, is about community and kind of bringing people together, um, and kind of introducing people to interesting new artists, um. And I feel like the whole capitalistic side of things, which we're all a part of, if you know what i mean i'm I'm a part of it, I get booked and and all of that um but I feel like it's very unimaginative right now um yeah. and that it just feels stale and stagnant. but I can imagine for where where you've sat because you've been in the industry for so long, you must have gone through many periods of feeling stagnant as an artist and kind of going what the hell is next like how do we kind of progress and how do we what are those like lows of an artist like for you especially at the beginning when there's nobody to look up to to kind of go oh well they've done this and they've kind of had a dip and then come back and had a dip like how does that even like affect you as a person
1: yeah well I I mean I think my philosophy is you know, you just got to keep going if you believe in it. Uh, everything goes in circles, too. That really—that's a real true saying. Yeah. You know, come back around, um, and, and and you got to create. You got to find ways to try to recreate yourself. Uh, and it's not always up to, to to yourself. It's up to how the scene moves and yeah. how. Uh, but I always find good music finds a way you know it still finds a way to cut through and that's why we have still been around so long Funny. you know uh it, it you know i don't know how many genres it is now but back then you know it was only house it was only techno mm. and then tech house uh and you know it shifted so much um but what i find is like a lot of the younger generation start out one way and then they find their way over you know at some point uh um and it's you know that EDM was the the entry point at one point, yeah. and trap and all that. Um, um, you know what you want to see is events, you know, like you know, uh, movement and festivals that uh, genuine, gen, you know, genuine uh, to the to the to the music and and uh, bring different artists together that that will help be innovative to the scene and production is important. Environment is important where you place this events and you, you just want to see more stuff like that happen. Uh, Europe has done a pretty good job of it. You know, Uh, you know, in Detroit we have smaller clubs, we don't have really a super club, but you know, it's still a, I think a, a a good enough scene to keep it going without burning it out uh, and then you have this great festival. So and you know I experienced obviously Cross Festival um you know uh over in California yeah. uh, and you know I I found I did a few festivals lately in America that seem like some of these are not just going one way they're combining stuff and yeah. you know stuff more so that part is good um um I, you know i think people just got to continue to be educated kind of keep keep better letting people know history because connecting the history is still important yeah. you know it's not like the most important thing in the world but there's a connection that people can grab a hold to uh it helps well, i think older. it's
0: also it's sorry to butt in but it's still so it's in the grand scheme of music electronic music is still so young yeah and yeah like the it, like i can still speak to you right if you know what i mean like where you're one of the creators and That you don't often get that in many genres of music. In life, generally, you don't often get that, and I think it's like really special for us to be able to have that now and to kind of still educate people about that, rather than go, "Oh, it's too late." If that makes sense, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, that definitely makes sense. That's what—that's the beautiful thing about electronic music yeah. and this creation of dance music, it, you know, uh, you can be 40 years younger yeah. than me, but now we still c- connected. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that it's not, ab- it's not even about age, age, yeah. you know, it's it's about the connection of creativity of music and the path that we've taken musically that everybody can kind of connect to at some point, you know, um, you yeah. know, uh, usually like, people who watch like some of the older acts even back in the time like the Rolling Stones this is you know they get the same audience the same fans forever yeah. you know what i mean yeah. you know we might lose some fans but we always gaining fans or gaining people with interest that's much younger they, they that's why this you know it can it, it is young and it yeah. will continue you know, it, it'll continue to, to to probably
0: be that way, you know? I Yeah, it makes complete sense. People at a certain age stop going to raves. Um, yeah. And they have families and they get married and they do other things and don't want to spend the weekends in a dark room. It's totally understandable, but I think it's amazing. It's an amazing place it's for escapism for, for the youth of, of today. of, of oh, yeah. Of every generation.
1: Yeah. Um, and then it's positive it's not like you see fights and people you know uh getting it, shot it is, and things like, like that you don't get any right. of that right that's that's what's so amazing about it so it's a yeah. very it's, it's positive you know you get sometimes you get people wanting to shut clubs down and you know stuff like that yeah and, festivals and saying it's you know it's a bad thing but it's really not it's, it's actually a, it gives people an escape and it, it you know I think music helps save people lives actually, yeah you know? yeah 100% man
0: 100% um I had MK on the podcast a while ago and I've I'm good friends with him talked with yeah. him over the years and I didn't realize how influential you were in the early days of his career um mm-hmm. Let's talk about that a little bit because I'm really interested yeah. to get your side of the story.
1: Yeah. Mark, I remember Mark, uh, you know, this young kid coming to the studio and, uh, you know, just, just trying to find his way, make his path. You know, I mean, he, he you know, he was very, uh, um, what's the word? Just motivated. And he had all this talent to to make music, you know? So, you know, we started letting him in the studio because, you know, my door was pretty much open for almost anyone to come in. I let people use my studio. Uh, All kind of artists came up. Shazdameer, Ron Trent. uh, Everybody came to my studio just about. Obviously, Derek had his own. Juan had his own. But we were all on the same corner. But you know, people gravitated to me that was inspired by me or or liked my music. So at some point, Mark was, you know, a bit of a, a protege of mine, not completely, but he was inspired by me. I let him be around me. I took him on road trips with me. I put him in videos. I did a lot of that type of stuff, you know. uh, And of course, I, I, you know, I love a lot of the music he was making and I released some of it and, you know, some records I didn't release and, you know. um, But I remember particularly Mark um, making music and I still lived, like, I had, my studio was uh, connected to where I lived. At the time, I just lived in the loft and I would, like, like sleep next to the room that my studio was in. It wasn't like it was soundproof. And I would hear Mark making his tracks. And, you know, sometimes I had to wake up and just tell him, like, keep that keep that line because sometimes you know <laughs> you might get rid of something. So yeah. I, I remember those days trying to sleep and it's just banging. It had glass on on the door and it was just rattling. But <laughs> it was some good times, you know, back then. But he he traveled the world. I think he was inspired a lot by my remixing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know if you know this. I was the first one to take do a remix how we know it. Oh, like really? back in the day, the remix was. Like Shep Pettibone and, mm. and uh, uh, Jelly Bean Benitez and all those guys, they just they re-edited and re they did extensions of of records to make them like uh like a single. They would make it so it, it would be uh for a club DJ so they could play it, have yeah. a better intro, a longer break, stuff like that. Yeah. But that's how remix worked back right then. So I was the first one to strip everything and put all new music to it so you know uh we should have had a different name than a remix for it it's really like a reproduction a reproduced record but i was the first one to do that and mk he was around when i was doing a lot of that stuff so he was inspired by my remixes more or less than anything i think
0: wow i didn't know that when you talk about remixes um what were the was there any remixes that you did that kind of like because back in back then remixes were huge especially with like the likes of like madonna and kind of like the big pop acts right what was the point what was it when was there like any artists that you kind of got to remix that you were like how the hell am i remixing these people
1: yeah they're definitely smarter so like even new order i was like because I was playing Blue Monday and stuff like that back then. I'm thinking like, you know, it was a different record. I think it was called Round and Round. Yeah. And it wasn't one of my better remixes. And, you know, it was a very difficult record to remix, you know. Uh, the, but I did it and, you know, it came out and, you know, people liked it, you know, but I was uh, uh, to, to do them. I did Yellow. Uh, uh, I did uh, a record record. It's called the bottle, but it's mm-hmm. by the Christians. It's one of my favorite remixes. It, it wasn't the original bottle, but it's it's one of my favorite records. And I got to remix that, and uh, um, you know that was amazing. Uh, I did Paul Abdul back then too. Not that that was like I was dying to do it. I just did it, yeah. but it, it was a it was a slow record, and mm-hmm. I tuck it and sped it up, and you know. Uh, 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 made it like a uh, normal BPM because yeah. it was too slow, you know, might have been 110, but I made it like 125 mm-hmm. and had to do all this vocal processing to get the pitch right for yeah. the tempo. Uh um but I, you know, did a lot of remixes, uh um tons of them back then. Yeah, I can imagine. and sometimes it was the if it was the right path to take given so much away. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's what it was. Who knew? Yeah. And you know, you, you, you live in the moment. And you know, you get in these big studios. I, you know, I had a small studio, you know, eight tracks, yeah. whatever. You know, a few instruments, <laughs> synthesizers. You get in these big studios. You can get anything you want. I was working out of the Zomba studio a lot and you got these big boards, SSL boards, and uh you can get any kind of equipment in there. And so you you know, and then they give you like, it's different than it is today, you know. They say like, okay, we give you 24 hours a lockout or you give you 48 hours to get the mix done. So whatever you did, you had to come out. Yeah. You had to get it done and be done. And that was the remix, you know, no matter what. It, was, it wasn't no recalling and stuff. You just <laughs> get it done and Be and make sure you was happy with it. So oh, that's a lot of that back then.
0: When the process from going like, analog in the studio to digital was that like a a, a kind of an interesting switch for you or was it kind of an innovating
1: time where you were like okay we can actually do a lot more yeah it was innovating and interesting for me I always was one the forward think and try to use technology and, and like to see it develop. Mm. So it wouldn't become stagnant or boring or, you know, you always want to be inspired to create, And you know, sometimes it's so only so much you can do with one piece of gear, but even though the most important thing is to be able to maximize and master that piece of equipment, mm. you know, if you do that, then you get to the point where, you know, you feel like you, you you need another tool. And these tools definitely help. And it started really, a lot of it started with uh, DJing even moving over from, you know, as much as I love vinyl, you know, records getting lost. I, I went to Australia twice and my records got lost. Even the first set I played in Australia, I had to go buy records because the records never made in time. So that was terrible because it's like, I'm talking about back in 1992 or whatever. uh, You know, you just couldn't find what your set was. There's just no way. It was impossible. So, uh, yeah, because also back uh,
0: then in Australia, I can't imagine the record stores being as, as good as they were in America or in Germany or the UK. Not at all. So,
1: you know, so stuff like that became frustrating. Uh, uh, I remember having a gig in, in London and I told the... Uh, it was at... Uh, what was it at? Uh, Ministry of Sound, I think. Yeah. And I wanted to fly me in a day early, but they refused to. And guess what? I flew in the day of like normal and or like they they requested. They refused to because they didn't want to pay at a hotel, which yeah. to me, you know, was ridiculous. But I did that to have a precaution just in case my records would get lost because I wouldn't carry records and big crates on board. So anyway... Our records get lost, it, it don't show. I'm in, I'm in London, no records, that you know, and then I get in later, so I can't even play the gig. So eventually technology started changing yeah. with, you know, even like Final Scratch that ended up turning into whatever track to now. Yeah. Uh, I was right there to be of that technology, loving it for the fact that not only, you know, you can have your whole set, but you know, you could play you, you know, you don't have to carry records, so worry about your records getting lost. Because, you know, a lot of that tore up, you know, our, our backs and necks and yes. shoulders. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, even when you carry stuff on board, yeah. you know, that was, you know, difficult. We feel that now more than then, even though it was tough then. But yeah. now, like, you know, I'm glad I stopped doing <laughs> all that as much as... Playing vinyl, you know. And then you had people talking. About, ah, you got to. Why you not playing with vinyl? You're using this technology, this is. Mm. You know, you got the haters too, but um. So I was always supportive of innovation, and then you know, as plugins and all, you know, the digital world came in, especially like with editing. You know, I used to edit back in the day. You know, yeah. you, you got a reel. You mix. You mix your your tune on the reel to reel, and then you got to uh, sometimes you make sections because yeah. you're doing arrangements and if you didn't have like SSL or something that remembered all your mutes you know then that's how we did it and then you have to edit together and splice yeah. take actually physically splice the tape and and create you know the, the space to make it you make know you yeah. bring it all together anyway um, that was a nightmare sometimes because if you if you sneezed or something and you lost a piece of tape <laughs> and it's on the floor <laughs> It's happened, trust me, and you know. So, so the fact that some of the first technology was, I think it was called, I don't know if it's called Sound Tools, but it was an editing two-track mm. editing software where you can uh, you you put your track in there and you can splice it up right there. I was like blown away. Like, yes, you can actually edit like this, and then you can do it so much quicker, you yeah. know, uh, than trying to cut it. And you can see it, you know. So I was right there sold on technology and I then that. i just kept evolving with it and started using computer uh, DA, uh DAW systems uh moving over to that you know mm. i remember the beginning days of logic where yeah. you know you had to create all these environments it was a pain in the ass <laughs> but that's what it was back then uh but it was innovative too because you know you really had to use your brain and 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 to, to create these environments to get to the creative mode. Yeah. But once you did that, you know, and it was, it's been a process over the years, but and it might be a little too much stuff out here. Like my son, he, he always got something new. He wanna show me a, a, a program or uh, uh, you know, uh some new technology. A little, sometimes it's a little too much, you know, <laughs> but I, you know, it's down to the individual and the producer to decide what to eliminate or not try at the time you know Mm. because you know you you still have to move forward and you got to know how to be able to get stuff done you know that's important Mm. instead of being like 20 30 different things and 100 different plugins and you kind of not nowhere you know at the same time
0: limitations 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 definitely help in in a creative environment for sure i I totally agree with that How is it um, How is it watching your sons grow up and be a part of the industry whilst you're still a part of the industry? And also one of the boys is in Inner City, I believe, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dante's is in Inner City. And the reason he's in Inner City, because I thought like, since I have a new singer, not the original singer, because she retired and we took a hiatus and then Dante's... Works with a lot of vocal music himself and likes vocals and writes chords and he sounds like me in many ways. Uh, so I thought like this is a good way to keep Inner City going and yeah. it's something I can pass on to him. And if he wants to keep 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 moving with Inner City in the future, you know, it's it's there and he kind of helps keep that part going. If I'm traveling, he could, he could be, you know, he doesn't travel as much as me, of course. So he can be working Mm. on, you know, new projects and I can give him direction and he he can do it. So that part is good. And uh, it's, it's, it was something never planned, you know, even though they've been into every movement from when they were kids, every festival, they haven't missed one yet. Um, And then to see them be a part of it, And to be a part of the industry, how it happened, it wasn't because, as I said, you guys are going to make music or you guys are going to be DJs. Dantes, Damari, I think, mentioned it to Dantes. Dantes moved with somebody when he was 18. Like he moved out the house and moved with some friends and they were DJs. And that's how he got inspired. Nice. He got inspired by somebody else and started making music. And here we are today. Uh, so it's it's good to see that that's what they love, you yeah. know, and that's what they do, you know. Um, I didn't make it easy, you know. <laughs> Sometimes people think ah, you just writing off your dad, coach. No, right. a lot of times they came to me asking me how do you do this. I say go look it up on the internet. First. Go look on <laughs> you. I would, because, you know, I wanted to see if they were really interested or if they just was just trying to. And I didn't want to be asked dad every question about everything. You got to figure out some stuff. Just like I had to figure out some stuff and you got to put some time in. And once I seen that and I believed it was genuine, then I started being more, you know, supportive. Let's Mm -hmm. put it that way. Yeah. and, And help helping them and giving them decisions. But, you know, uh, yeah, the studio never stops with Don Tez, especially, you know, uh, it's like, it don't make a difference. As you heard earlier, he was playing music off his computer upstairs with a little speaker, because even if you're in the studio, he's in the studio somewhere. Well. Even if it's on his laptop, yeah. he's always creating. So it's, it's, it's good, and you know. They they love it so, and they you know I I know they you know both have talent so that's awesome. Just, hey, keep it moving.
0: They're lovely guys as well. It's nice to see them out and about in Detroit and kind of popping around shows. Yeah. It's it's really interesting. Um, yeah, I want to talk about movement because this is this episode is actually coming out the week of movement, so um, I, it's kind of perfect timing to have you on as well. Um All right. it's a special festival for me. And this this year is the first time I've actually played in the festival itself. Um, I played after parties for years. um, But now, yeah, it's kind of like Detroit's... (laughs) I moved to Detroit five years ago. um, And movement's always been one of those festivals where I've always looked up to want to play and always wanted to play. Um, Right. And it's the kind of the one festival in America where people talk about outside of america um in the electronic kind of music scene um how was it you've been to every single one obviously it didn't start as movement it started as depth um, yeah let's talk about kind of how it all kind of came came about
1: here here's here's some history on this festival that Some people know, and, and, you know, there's been some uh, documentation on it and uh, stuff out there. But, you know, this original concept came years ago. I'm talking about 1997, 98. Mm -hmm. Carl, Derek May, and I think Kenny Larkin. We formed this organization called CKDK, and it was supposed to be the purpose of this was to do events, grow our music collectively together. But you know, we kind of always still pretty busy, and it wasn't moving at the pace. Let's say that it we it should have because you know we, we're in different places, and it's just not coming together like that. And but anyway. So at one of the meetings, Derek brings in Carol Marvin, mm. who was the original producer of this festival of them. And uh, the the thought was the concept really came from Derek and Carl about doing an event in, in Har Plaza. Mm.
0: Um,
1: so we had this meeting, you know, and it kind of was forgot about, at least, you know, from what I remember. But then, like two years later, year and a half later, Carl sends a message to me, or says, "Guess what? I'm going to do the festival at Hard Plaza. I'm going to be, you know, the artist director, and you know, Kira uh, Marvin is going to produce it. I want you to support me and p- perform." So I was, you know, so my first thought was like, "Well, I thought we were supposed to be doing this together." But Carl probably said like. It's never happened if we're trying to do it together. Yeah. So it happened, basically. And Carl got support from all of us, Derek, Stacy, whatever, mm. whoever, all the Detroit artists. It was a free festival. Uh, there was all kinds of problems with the Detroit, the city. But let's say, in the end, it happened. Yeah. And it was a big success. It was a beautiful thing to see people come out and embrace the music that we mm. created that inspired the world to be come back home in our own city. And it's the perfect location. So it happened. Carol was around for whatever uh, two or three festivals. She fired Carl. There was a backlash against all that, you know. Uh, Derek went into the city along with some other partners, lawyers, etc. Pitched the city to do the festival. Uh, At that time, the city was paying Carol Marvel a certain amount. Maybe they gave her five or $600,000, let's say, Mm -hmm. to put on the festival. So um, even though with that money, there were still challenges putting it on at that time because it's quite expensive to to run. Yeah. Anyway, Derek used my name, car name, in his proposal. In the end, we ended up supporting it, but we really wasn't a part of it. So Derek kind of did it with the mindset that we were all gonna come back together. Yeah. But Derek, you know, not really being a businessman, even though it it got accepted, the people he were that were involved at that time were not really honest people, let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah. I'm trying to cut, cut some of this <laughs> down. Uh, uh uh on top of that, he was really dealing with a corrupt, some corrupt people within the city. Yeah. The festival happened. It was free still, but it was a challenge to get money. So the festival, the first year happened. Derek lost a lot of money, whatever. It was he was doing it because he thought this was the future. Yeah. And it, it did become the future. But it was, you know, uh sometimes it's not good to be a pioneer or be at the beginning because <laughs> you gotta go through some bumps and learn. <laughs> yeah. The second year Derek had the festival, Derek came to me. This was 2004 he, that he had it. He came to me and said, Kevin, I'm going to have to cancel the festival. I don't have enough money. I'm out of money. I'm broke. I put everything into it. This was like two weeks before it was supposed to happen. Mm. I came in with some money, kind of helped save that year. Yeah. Became a part of it a little, not really. I was just, just name-wise, I was connected to it. And it happened, okay? Again, not enough money. Money was lost. Not enough sponsorships. Um, The next year I took it over, Mm -hmm. 2005. I produced it. I was the first one, you know, not the first one on a lot of stuff. It's amazing how this happens, but I guess that was my, my path, my blessings to be. I was the first one to get the city to allow for that venue to charge. Mm-hmm. So there was that prior to then there was no festivals. And that was always part of my vision. We need to charge for this. Yeah. So it got approved kind of at the last minute. I wasn't told I was told a few months before that they that I got approved to do the festival, which was challenging. Cause imagine. Trying to pull this all off in two or three months yeah. is 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 it's tough enough doing it by the year. But me traveling the world, you know, trying to, you know, run a festival, uh it was it was it was difficult. Anyway, the festival happened. At the end we was able to charge, didn't really have a gauge on how many people come. Uh, I bought actually Jason in, the Paxa House guys, yeah. run one stage. They did very well. Um, I brought my family in to help. Um, There was some corruption going on with the city, with money being taken. It's, It's just some crazy stories. I won't get too deep into it. The festival happened. Basically, I was heartbroken by it because of the corruption. I was just destroyed that. We do all this hard work. The city begged me to do this festival because I almost said no. Yeah. And then to see the corruption go on and see how greedy people were. So I re- just resigned. Yeah. I just said, I'm not doing this festival no more. I'm not going to be a part of it because I didn't want to be a part of unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. So that happened. Jason took it over. Uh and through the process, here's, here's the great thing that happened for the city. We we had to go through all of this, but this is why the festival is still here because Jason was able to take it over. He was able to see some of the pitfalls and find a way to deal with the city, and and they're here all the time. They're not traveling the world like us artists, you know. Not that we weren't businessmen, just. You, you know, you have to choose your path. Totally, home and travel the world and run this festival, or do what you know. Yeah. I, you know, our creative natures was to perform and play. Mm-hmm. So anyway, they took it over, and it have it has evolved over the years and gotten better in production, and obviously, um, been able to charge a lot more than back when I charged. I charged ten dollars. You know, <laughs> I mean, really, I charged ten dollars. <laughs> uh, so. Oh, that didn't pay the bills either. I can imagine. (laughs) You know, so, 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 you know, years later, uh, I got back involved with just curating the stage, which is a lot simpler, you know, uh, you know, and then I performed and, and then, you know, we like what I've been doing is branding it as this origins because mm-hmm. it's the past, present, and the future. I mean, we believe it, the talent should mix on my stage. And, you know, it's not one path, it's not just techno, it's not just house. It's not, you know, it's it's a combination of artists that I bought in before, like uh, King, Patrick Top, and obviously Detroit people, yeah. and obviously performing this year sure. on it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, um, it's, it's, uh, KMS 35 years. So, um, um, but it's evolved and it's, it's, it's a great venue and they've, they've done a fantastic job, you know, you can never make anybody, everybody happy, you know, but I think never, they've done a yeah. fantastic job and I'm, and I'm glad to see that you're on it. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you Finally. for having me.
0: Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. And it's, it's amazing because that I, the first time I was in Detroit, it wasn't at Movement. Um, but I think like the third time I came to Detroit, it was for a movement party and it's amazing, you you know, more than anybody, the struggles Detroit has kind of gone through over the years from the race riots up until even today, like how kind of how much the city's gone through. Um, and that weekend is the one weekend where to me personally, the city just comes alive and it's it's busy everywhere you go you've got every venue every promoter and like external promoters kind of feeding off movement because there's so many people in the city it's just it's just a really special moment for the for the city and i think having that really brings the community together for detroit as well
1: no, no, no doubt. I mean, it brings an influx of people, influx of money to the city, yeah. uh, and creativity. And it's a, it's a, it's a magical moment that you know we wish happened more. Yeah, totally, <laughs> you totally. know, or like to see that. You know, you don't even see that in other places. You might see people come together and, and money being made, and you know, but it it doesn't have the same no. vibe. And, no, you yeah. know, definitely different. There,
0: there know? isn't yeah. another. There isn't another festival like it that I've been to, um, that, that kind of, you have that city feel. Um, because I think every other city that festivals are in, the cities are amazing cities that have like lots going on anyway. And like Detroit, I, like, I remember moving to Detroit downtown like five years ago. And even then though, like there wasn't a grocery store down there. And that this was five years Even ago. Then? Yeah, come
1: on, man. When I used to live in '88, I was like, I can't find grocery. I got to go out to the supper Exactly. Go <laughs> five years ago, it was like that still. My yeah, goodness.
0: it was still like that for it. Like you could go to restaurants and you could do that, but there still wasn't a, the closest grocery store was Whole Foods in like Midtown. Like right, you had right. to like. So yeah, it's it's just really it's it's a really nice time to to see the city kind of come alive. Um, I got a couple more questions. Yeah. Batman.
1: Yeah.
0: How did this come about?
1: Well, you know, I, 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 um, I was, I, I did a publishing deal and a, and a label deal with a, a company called Armana. Yeah. They're from the Netherlands. And, you know, one of my goals is hopefully over time, is to evolve into doing or get my tracks more in films. And, I, you know, you see these films, you hear electronic music, and then sometimes it's just the worst electronic music, you know. You'd be like, what? how did they pick this track? <laughs> or why did they let somebody create, you know, a track that represents our scene? Yeah, Which, totally. To me, cool. Uh, so I always would put pressure on them out of saying, you know, we, you guys need to do a better job or, or really be progressive about uh, trying to get tracks into films. So they basically found a way to to make it happen and deliver, you know, really on a, a top movie, you yeah. know. Um, and that's one of my things that, you know, I want to do more of in the future and, you know, eventually get myself into, you know, Uh, doing some proper scoring, you know, or or films, you know, I feel like it's a, it's it's a way to, it's a way to evolve, but it's still something I love and it's still Mm -hmm. something that is needed in films and why not, you know, have uh, something authentic from some of the the originators as well as as it doesn't make a difference as long as it's good and it fits the film and the future. It could be, from anyone, but it, it needs to be represented in a, in a proper way. And I just think like that's, that's the future, you know, of, of, of music. Uh, it should be, if, if that's what's going on in our scene, it connects with the youth, it connects
0: with people. Right? I agree. I agree, man. I, I totally feel the same. Um, how was it when you first watched the film? And,
1: <laughs> you know, um, I'm a, I mean, I love Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh so you know, I was just looking forward to to watching it and obviously seeing how they place place uh, my track. Uh, and then you never know to the very end. So I was so quiet about it. You know, I was almost a little nervous about it because like they go through. You know, this was a this was like a seven eight month process at yeah. least, at yeah, least yeah. maybe longer. Um, and you know, you you go through different stages. You know, uh, where you know you got to make the final cut or this cut, and even when you're in the final cut, and you say, okay, you're in the final cut, you just still don't know until you hear it, really you hear it, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so I just was there waiting to see if I heard it, and I kept waiting, and I was sitting in an area in the movie, and I didn't know, they obviously it was more in the background and up front, so half of my hearing is already gone, so I'm like, is that the track? I think so, my mother, my mother came with me, my kids, and they was like, is this the track? I said, yeah, I think so, but it was the angle I was sitting on. Uh, uh, it was weird hearing it uh, like that, but at the end, you know, I, you know, I, I, I looked through them credits. I said, yeah, yeah, I, was, I was in here for sure, you know. So it, it you know, it, it's good, man. Uh, yeah. uh, just looking forward to some potential more opportunities, and you know, it's enough sci-fi films or films that can use good dance music. Totally, man. You know? Totally totally agree um
0: so let's wrap this up, but there's a i I've started doing this thing at the end of the podcast where I've asked people a question, and um just to kind of end it off nicely and it's not necessarily based about music, but it's more so about just life and you've you've had a lot of experience in life, and I guess the what the question is is uh what piece of advice would you give somebody today? about life
1: try to be righteous as you can in your heart treat people with respect and you know just do what's in your heart uh that's the most important thing and and uh you'll get your blessings
0: love that kevin thank you so much for coming on man um it's been a pleasure to catch up um and i'll see you this week soon, soon very soon, soon. Yeah, keep yeah. safe man uh, see you soon. all right my man peace man take care thank you
1: yeah. bye yep yep bye-bye
0: and that's a wrap uh big thanks to kevin for coming on go follow him make sure you go check his music out if you haven't heard his stuff It's amazing um go do some history lessons as well he's he's done some a lot of stuff over the years keep safe share it with your friends much love